From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword because we all want the public health emergency to end. However, um, some of the things that the public health emergency was able to trigger was also were also quite positive in terms of allowing medical practices, as you mentioned, to um, deliver telehealth services and receive payment for them, especially in the Medicare program. That's Anders Gilbert talking about the public health emergency and its impact on medical practices. We'll hear more from Anders in just a moment, discussing the latest and most important regulatory issues facing healthcare professionals. But first, a word from our sponsors. MGMA's Medical Practice Excellence Financial Conference is an industry-leading financial management conference designed to arm healthcare professionals with the education and tools needed to run a more profitable and efficient practice. The conference is going to be held from March 31st through April 2nd in Atlanta. Go to mgma.com slash events to register today. As a healthcare organization, you routinely check your patient's health. But when was the last time you checked the financial health of your business? Don't let bad billing processes keep you from your hard-earned revenue. CareCloud's free revenue cycle assessment uncovers billing mistakes so you can see how to claim every last dollar. Get your free assessment by visiting carecloud.com slash assessment. Our guest today is Anders Gilberg. Anders is Senior Vice President of Government Affairs at MGMA. He's here today to talk about the biggest regulatory and policy issues facing medical practices today, including Medicare and Medicaid, government spending, the public health emergency, and much, much more. Anders, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Hey, thanks, Daniel. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you again. Yeah, I was, uh, as we were talking offline, I looked at my notes and we had you on almost two years ago at the start of the pandemic, and we're still in the pandemic. And it's just remarkable. I thought I was going to hold off and not have you on the show again (laughs) until we were done with this thing. But here we are. I just do want to catch up with you on one quick thing. I know it's been frenetic because you guys in in DC, your team has been amazing keeping MGMA and the MGMA audience up to date on what's happening in DC regulatory wise. But I just wanted to go inside the mind of Anders for just a second here. What has the last two years been like just from a workload aspect, from a work-life balance, any of those things that you want to share with us about what it's been like trying to keep the rest of us informed about what's going on? Well, Daniel, I'm going to have to go back and listen to the um, what I predicted two years ago, because I doubt I predicted that there'd be a, a pandemic that, uh, <laughs> that we'd still be dealing with here in 2022. Uh, it's been an interesting two years, especially in Washington. And um, you know, the, the audience that's listening here, they've had tremendous challenges 
and it's really our job as um, MGMA Government Affairs and MGMA as an association to represent our members and medical groups across the nation and, and just to make sure that um, they can continue to offer high quality, cost-effective care to their patients. So as we entered, I guess, 2020 now, um, you know, it, it was looking like kind of a, a typical year. Um, and so much has changed as we as we got uh, kind of, you know, more indication about the the severity of the pandemic as we entered into March of 2020, uh, things got really crazy and not just for MGMA as an organization or in Washington, but certainly for medical groups around the country. You know, we started to hear anecdotally and then we started to do some, some surveying and polling of our members, but, um, you know, as patients got more and more concerned about the pandemic, uh, visits to medical groups just stopped. And some of our, our medical groups and, and practices that um, have like, for example, ambulatory surgical centers or um, uh, do procedures in a hospital, many of those type of, well, what I would call non-emergency type of procedures, those were stopped almost completely by April of 2020. So we faced a situation where on both the kind of the volume side of a medical group and the, um, the revenue side of a medical group, both we were, we were measuring it from our members' perspective and both of those uh, got cut in half in, le in less than a month and patients just stopped going. You know, it, I don't think everybody, certainly if you're in a medical group, you understood this, but, you know, as we were seeing our hospitals getting just sort of swamped with patients, especially in New York and some of the hardest hit initial places, it, you know, medical groups were uh, almost empty and they were struggling with just getting basic things like PPE for their their staff and, and clinical and their physicians and, and administrative staff so they could protect themselves from a virus we didn't know that much about. So in Washington, what we did at that point was we worked uh, with Congress and the administration to um, work out as many things we could do to try to help stabilize the situation as best we could for medical practices and we worked with a lot of uh, other important organizations such as the American Medical Association, even um, you know, many of the physician specialties that we work closely with. We all work to try to buoy um, physicians and physician practices and medical groups in, this, in that tough time. The good news is, and um, you know, I know today we're gonna talk about 2022. Right. The good news is, is we were pretty successful. Um, and uh, whether it was the provider relief fund, which was very specific to medical groups and physicians and um, also to other providers in, in, in uh, the Medicare program. But, um, uh, you know, that was that was a, a huge amount of money that was uh, critical to stabilizing, uh, you know, key things in medical practices and keeping staff on board uh, during the crisis. You know, even I, I, I recall even non-specific healthcare type of, of programs like the, um, the PPP loans that um, the paycheck protection loans that small businesses and other businesses could avail themselves of. Um, even 
I think 70% of our members uh, um, took out a PPP loan. So there were a number, there was also a program in Medicare where you could get advanced payments and, um, and get paid upfront for things you're gonna do later. And so there's a lot of, you know, I'm not sure I'd call it stimulus, but a lot of things that were done to, to kind of just stabilize things. And as we saw things get a little better, you know, toward the end of 2020, um, volumes had come back considerably and that, and it, it did its job. And um, it was important um, that um, the country got back on its feet. You know, if you, if you look at us like a kind of a, um, uh, like a chart of the stock market at the same time, there was a V bottom in the stock market around late March, April um, of 2020. And it was kind of like that for medical groups, like mm -hmm. in terms of their volume and, um, and revenue, it started to snap back uh, pretty strongly in at the end of, of, of 2020. And then 2021, you know, <clears throat> was a, a year, a little bit more reckoning year. Um, we saw, you know, different variants of the virus come and go, and we saw some parts of the country hit uh, again in terms of, of um, medical practices, um, dealing with the fallout from the Delta variant of the virus. And um, it was also um, a tricky time for all the paperwork and the reporting that needed to be done to report back to the government to kind of justify how the monies that they received, uh, medical practices and physicians received in 2020, how that money was spent. And so that, you know, you know, no good deed goes unpunished by the government, I guess. And, you know, um, <laughs> And so it was great, but our members did have to deal with a lot of red tape um, and a lot of paperwork to, in 2021. So as we enter 2022, you know, we have some other kind of knock-on impacts. Um, I wouldn't have said, Daniel, that like, ah, uh, you know, here we are, the late 2021 and 2022, and we're back in the middle of, of the pandemic and I'm working from home again. And it's been, it's been an interesting time in Washington to be an advocate, but be an advocate from your kitchen table sometimes. And um, it got a little bit more normal over the summer last year, but um, you know, it's not, we're back to largely working from home at the moment. And it's not just me, um, the federal government has yet to come back uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. Very few, there's congressional staff and members of Congress up on Capitol Hill, but very few, um, administrative offices are back in Washington. So as we enter 2022, it's going to be a really interesting year, I think. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about what we're seeing for the, the next 12 months. Yeah. And, and I, I want to thank you from, from MGMA and from the medical practices, the work that you've done again to you and your team to help make sense of this. And uh, so many programs, so many uh, awareness, the shots in arms uh, program that you guys were advocating along with other associations was, I feel very successful as well. So I want to thank you for that. And, and for walking me through memory lane, it's, it was kind of <laughs> like a shell shock a little bit, just going through blow by blow of what happened. But I really appreciate you walking us through that. So as you were saying, we're in 2022 now. We are, uh, we're in January now of 2022 as we're talking. So I want you to, you were kind of giving us a, a snapshot of what had been happening, but now 
give us an idea of what you see happening and what is happening and what's going to continue to happen in 2022. What are some of those really big macro healthcare issues that you and your team are going to be looking at and that the medical practices need to be aware of as well? Yeah, and you know, as I said, 2021, uh, the there was more of an administrative burden in dealing with the the effects of some of the government spending to stimulate the economy, as well as to support medical groups. But um, as uh, you, you know, your listeners know, there's a lot of money that went out the door. But we're not working with monopoly money here in Washington, and. Um, there are a number of triggers that take effect and the high ticket prices of legislation and the corresponding debt, that is going to have an impact on medical groups, especially as in the healthcare system in general, as we move out of um, the pandemic, you know, fingers crossed. Uh, you know, there was legislation like some of the, the bigger marquee type of things that we mentioned, that I mentioned, like the American Rescue Plan, um, you know, that triggered, so I can go through them in more detail, but just kind of in a general sense, that triggered different type of spending caps that, um, that then um, force cuts to domestic programs unless Congress intervenes. And at a time when we spent so much, so much government money, we have to. We haven't talked about for several years, and maybe we did talk about this in 2020 before the pandemic. But um, you know, at the time, a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic, we were talking about bigger macro issues such as entitlement reform and what would be the impact on medical group practices and physicians um, in entitlement reform. You know, um, instead, there was more and more talk this year about even expanding Medicare. It didn't really happen, but expanding, you know, dental and other aspects of, of um, uh, uh, coverage in terms of Medicare beneficiaries. Um, but the fact is, is some of the larger Social Security and Medicare trust fund monies, uh, you know, they, uh, we get reports every year and um, these, these funds will ultimately be depleted in the not too distant future without some type of intervention. So I think like, you know, as I kind of predict what's going on in 2022, to and thinking about the rapidly increasing national debt and, and thinking about, you know, how or when Congress will ultimately deal with it. I think, you know, I just kind of want to put it on the radar that um, I don't expect to see many trillion dollar legislative packages in anytime soon. And so that was a very unique situation. And now we're going to have to deal with potentially some of the ramifications of that in 2022. Okay. Well, one of the big wins was uh, MGMA's efforts and other association and, and other groups' efforts to prevent almost 10% cut in Medicare payments to practices. Huge win, but tell us, because things always change, so tell us how will that play out this year? What's going on now? Right. Um, even some of the things. So, it's an unfortunate fact, but if um, if Congress spends more money than it um, it statutorily allows itself to, um, then there are these triggers. And I think the the trigger that our members and medical practices and 
Medicare providers know the best is the 2% Medicare sequestration cuts that have been in effect for almost a decade. And so one of the positives were, was that you know, we were successful in advocating for that to be put on hold during COVID-19. And the good news is, is that um, it was. It was put on hold for a couple of years. And, um, you know, that what we believe, you know, we strongly opposed it then, we strongly oppose it now. But, um, you know, there hasn't been the wherewithal within Congress and the desire to address that issue. And that goes back to this larger macro issue that I just mentioned, you know. We're going to have to deal with some of these bigger issues. Otherwise, we're going to get this piecemeal, you know, impact of things like Medicare sequestration. So we delayed sequestration, but that is ultimately going to be phased back in this year. Um, what we're going to see uh, this year, and you know, we will be working again to see if we can kind of push this back or ideally repeal it, but. Um, we're going to be working again is sequestration. That 2% sequestration is going to start to come back in the first quarter, um, which um, uh, will be a 1% sequestration um, a cut on Medicare claims uh, at the end of the first quarter. And then by the end of June and beginning in July, that sequestration is scheduled to come back. And there's really, you know, Sequestration is just a, a fact of that Congress has a law that holds itself to if you spend too much that these cuts go into effect. We also have another, um, so that's going to be phased in the middle of the year and we'll be working on seeing what we can do to mitigate that. But we also have, I mentioned the American Rescue Plan and some of the other larger spending bills. Um, at the end of 2022, we were uh, successful in waiving what, what are called pay-as-you-go rules. And that was 4% cut to Medicare reimbursement. Basically another sequester, but a different type of sequester. You know, I know I'm talking in these wonky terms, but another 4% <laughs> cut was averted. Right. And, you know, and it's crazy, like at the end of 2022. But those are slated to go back into effect in 2023, unless we deal with some of these larger issues. Another thing that we were able to get an infusion of money um, in um, as a result, uh, I guess this was in 2021, um, th uh, there were budget neutrality adjustments to the Medicare conversion factor that were set to reduce the conversion factor in Medicare by 3.75%. And so what's the Medicare conversion factor? The Medicare conversion factor is basically a multiplier. And, um, you know, our, our members and medical practices are going to be familiar with relative value units and RVUs. But um, what Congress uh, and Medicare did um, a, a few years ago was, and, and worked with organized medicine to a large degree too, was revamped evaluation and management codes. And in doing so, and these are office visit codes that are very common to especially primary care practices and um, they revamped those codes and it significantly increased the relative value units for office visits, especially for things like physician work. And in doing so, what happens, um, again, this is an automatic cut. Uh, you, anytime that an adjustment to RVUs creates a, um, 
an impact up or down $20 million on the Medicare program, uh, then a budget neutrality adjustment is made on the multiplier or the conversion factor to just zero it out. So you're going to, the pool of money remains largely the same. There's just a redistribution as a result. But given the fact that we were in the middle of the pandemic and, you know, it would be extremely detrimental to levy a 3.75% cut on on all physicians in Medicare, especially those that were, the volumes were down as a cut to the conversion factor. And many specialties that don't do a lot of E&M codes would have been most significantly cut. And that this at a time when we did have that um, reduction in procedures in hospitals and um, you know, even in office or ambulatory surgical center procedures, which are definitely you know, not billed as evaluation and management codes. So long story short, we were able to um, get, I think it was about $4 billion over the last couple of years to, um, to, to avert the impact or, you know, uh, the impact of the uh, reduction to the conversion factor. Even in 2022, we were successful to get another kind of infusion of money that would mitigate 3% of the 3.755% reduction in the conversion factor. But the reason I'm going through this exhausting kind of discussion of using a lot of jargon is that, you know, at the end of 2023, um, again, this can't go on forever. And it's not like we're going to have Congress to be sitting around, you know, giving $5 billion a year just to offset something that they already intended, which was budget neutrality in the Medicare program. So as we get toward hopefully the end of the pandemic, I, the message here is that now MGMA will be strongly advocating for medical practices. We will be out there talking to you, you know, you all out there and medical practices around the country and assessing the impact of, of all these potential cuts. But what we were able to do, which was largely avert, I think all but three quarters of 1% of um, as of right now, in terms of an almost 10% cut that was scheduled for 2022, we're going to revisit all that in 2023. And it's going to be tougher and tougher to kind of, you know, keep moving that um, forward, uh, because at some point we're going to have to balance the books. So, you know, it's early 2022, but it's just something that leaders and medical practice executives that are going to have to think about is that, you know, as I said, we're not working with monopoly money and it's something that we're going to be certainly representing their interests, but I'd rather kind of tell it like it is, as opposed to, you know, kind of sit here and <laughs> kind of wishfully think about, um, uh, that this will go on forever. So yeah, it's it, it's going to be tricky. It's going to be a tricky year, but um, so far so good this year. You know, we averted the cuts in 2022, but we'll be back at it late later this summer um, to see what we can do to mitigate the impact of all of this in 2023. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks for giving us a, an idea of what's happening there. Um, so one of the things that will not go on forever is the COVID-19 public health emergency. And as you guys in, in DC have helped us understand, it has provided a great deal of relief. It's provided um, help to medical practices. Um, so in light of that, how does this impact certain policies like telehealth as we move forward? Because we keep seeing the public health emergency gets an extension, it gets an extension. At some point, 
we don't, I don't know, you may know when, but it, it won't go on forever. So what is this going to do to policies like telehealth and other policies that have provided that relief to practices? Yeah, it's a double-edged sword because we all want the public health emergency to end. However, um, some of the things that the public health emergency was able to trigger was also, were also quite positive in terms of allowing medical practices, as you mentioned, to um, deliver telehealth services and receive payment for them, especially in the Medicare program. And again, you know, why do we talk about Medicare so much? Well, Medicare is the biggest payer in the country, but it also is kind of a... Um, you know, the rest of the insurance market, insurance companies uh, often follow Medicare payment policies. And so it, it kind of has a, again, a um, indirect impact on, on how larger issues like telehealth are addressed uh, both in the public and private marketplace in our country in our healthcare marketplace. And so again, when Congress passed legislation to, um, that that would uh, expand telehealth. It was it's directly linked to the public health emergency, and as you mentioned, it's our understanding that HHS will give us a sixty day heads up before they pull the plug on the public health emergency. You know, six, sixty days may not be enough time for Congress to make things permanent, so there could be a, a bit of a disruption. We have to we have to kind of wait and see, but. Telehealth is one of those really tricky issues that, um, yeah, it sounds good, but there's a lot of um, a lot of factors that perhaps people forget. So before the pandemic, Medicare only covered telehealth in rural areas, and even in those rural areas, you couldn't just get like you know FaceTime your doctor and then your doctor get paid for that visit. You would largely have to go to what was called an like a uh, qualifying originating site, and um, which might be you know maybe your primary care practice in order to do a telehealth visit with a specialist, maybe 200 miles away or something like that. And so telehealth was very small in terms of the overall Medicare spend, but as part of the public health emergency, you know Congress allowed lots and lots of uh, you know huge expansion of of telehealth services in terms of what is covered under telehealth. So it would be virtual visits and removing the geographic restrictions. So now it didn't matter where um, you were um, located in terms of like a city or urban area, you know, that it was now covered. In addition, they expanded the coverage, uh, the payment to create more payment parity. So, you know, uh, telehealth visits were paid at the same level as in-person visits, and that wasn't the case prior to the public health emergency. And more services were covered under the covered, uh, you know, there's a list of covered services in terms of what's covered under telehealth. And that was a big um, help for medical practices, especially in the early days of 2020. It kind of waned a bit in the um, uh, telehealth visits started to go down in the summer of 2020, and it popped back up a little bit again. Um, I think it's, you know, we've got some data that showed it's popped up a little bit now, uh, you know, with the Omicron variant, um, uh, you know, and, and it's been a useful tool. But the fact is, is that, um, you know, I hear telehealth is here to stay. And yes, it may be here to stay, but then it also has, like, somebody has to pay for it. And so there are concerns about telehealth. And the reason that Medicare didn't, didn't cover this, you know, um, in a broader sense before this is that there's concern that it would drive up 
volume in the Medicare program unnecessarily. There's concerns about, you know, the quality of care delivered with telehealth. Can you deliver the same quality of care without hands-on to the patient? Maybe in some cases, yes, but in some cases, perhaps no. There are concerns about fraud, that it's susceptible to fraud. And then there are concerns about privacy. And again, the ability to get a telehealth visit on your phone, you know, which is not necessarily HIPAA compliant delivery, you know, model, um, that's, that's all linked to the public health emergency. And so what I expect to happen is as we kind of hopefully emerge from the pandemic, hopefully in 2022, Congress will take a look at this again. But given those four factors that I mentioned, I don't think they're just going to expand telehealth. They probably will, you know, at some point pass legislation to maybe expand it for a couple of years and study these factors to make sure that, you know, that quality is preserved, that costs don't skyrocket in Medicare, that, you know, we're, we're making sure that everything's legitimate in terms of fraud and abuse, and then privacy is protected. So perhaps like a two-year extension of telehealth with a study to help inform future legislative initiatives. That's kind of where I see telehealth. So is it here to stay? Well, it is, you know, I'd say hopefully, and we support an expansion, but it's not, no one's going to write a blank check for telehealth after the pandemic. Right. Well, that makes sense. So in addition to telehealth, one of the other big issues right now that um, people have been looking at, examining, implementing in healthcare is value-based care. So give us the latest, what's going on in the world of uh, value-based care? And then what role does it have in the Biden administration? Yeah, value-based care was kind of interesting. And early on in the pandemic, um, you know, practices that were receiving maybe like a per member per month um, contractual rate to, to take care of a patient population, they actually felt some stability because as fee-for-service volumes plunged in April of 2020, they were still receiving those capitated payments um, to, to take care of their, their patients. And so it kind of was the interesting, um, but not in, you know, perhaps unintended, no one ever was thinking about you know, pandemics when we were implementing value-based care initiatives, but it did have a little bit more of a stabilizing effect early on. I think as we um, look at the implementation of value-based care through accountable care organizations and advanced alternative payment models in the Medicare program, it's kind of stagnated a bit. There haven't been a promulgated new alternative payment models um, really in the last several years. The Biden administration, you know, it it has focused on health equity, which I think is something that everybody can rally around. But now we really need to see, you know, how will you as an administration implement your initiatives that focus on health care equity at the same time roll out um, a alternative payment models that have the, you know, the appropriate incentives through payment um, that uh, use benchmarks and that are um, appropriate, especially, you know, for different parts of the country. You know, there's always risk adjustment and all the other things that go into kind of assessing how to measure what is largely 
the hallmark of value-based care, which was in, is improving quality and reducing costs to achieve value for our healthcare system. So, um, you know, there's the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation called CMMI, and um, you know, they have some opportunities to test new models. And, um, you know, we are concerned about the plateauing of, of value-based care. So we're going to be uh, continuing to push to make sure that not just primary care, uh, but also other non-primary care specialties have the ability to at least attempt and to participate in value-based initiatives in Medicare. Noteworthy is that those medical practices that have participated in advanced payment models, um, advanced APMs, they have received a 5% bonus on their non-value-based book of business. So on their fee-for-service um, uh, payments, they get a 5% bonus on that if they participate in an advanced payment model. And that was put into effect to stimulate and again to make sure to stabilize those practices that are making a very difficult transition to from fee for service to value that five percent expires at the end of this year and mgma is promoting legislation to continue that um, but without that five percent i could see that could have a really negative effect at the end of, end of 2022 into 2023 so we'll be working on extending that, but we also have to have options. 70, I think 70, between 70 and 80% of our members who are, um, we surveyed and virtually all of them outside of primary care said that they just don't believe that they have, that Medicare has clinically relevant alternative payment models that they can really kind of dip their toe into. So we need to expand the opportunities. And then we also need to keep the incentives there to, to again, help practices make that jump into, into these, uh, what are opportunities, but also um, they are delivery models that put more risk on the, on the practice from a financial perspective. And so we just need to mitigate that risk, especially for practices who are 100% new to uh, value-based care or alternative payment models. Okay. I have one more question and I've save this one for last for a reason because it gets people worked up but uh 2022 is a midterm election year it seems it boggles the mind because it seems like we just had the 2020 election i guess because we still talk about it but um as far as medical groups are concerned how does this election how could it affect them yeah so just for everyone's benefit all of the house of representatives is up this year and a third of the Senate is up for grabs. And, you know, I don't make a lot of political predictions, but uh, there's a lot of folks that feel like that the Republicans could take over Congress uh, again, which then sets the Congress at odds with the administration uh, from two different parties, uh, which depending on your perspective can be a good thing, you know, it could be a bad thing. And, um, you know, one of the things that the previous administration, you know, would do, and we've seen some of that with the Biden administration, um, is to really try to uh, flex its administrative um, um, muscle and do things like executive orders or to be more aggressive from the uh, regulatory standpoint. So that's a possibility maybe in 2023 if there's a divided uh, um, 
executive and legislative branch at the federal level. What we often find, if we're just talking about 2022, is that mid-year, these midterm election years, they can yield very little in the way of policymaking. You know, Congress, members of Congress, they're busy running for re-election, and they're, they're focusing on very specific issues um, to please their base. And healthcare sometimes is, is in there, but uh, given the tight margins of the existing Congress, uh, and I think as we move beyond some fiscal deadlines and the third week of February, um, some budgetary deadlines, there's a real question if anything's going to get done in Congress this year. You know, many of your listeners will know that, you know, there were legislative initiatives on voting rights that have just like in the last several days kind of been um, uh, slowed down and may not pass. Uh, there's also uh, legislation, more of an infrastructure bill that was seen as uh, had a higher likelihood at the end of last year, but um, called the Build Back Better Act. Um, and that's kind of stalled as well. And so there is some question if anything is going to happen. And the longer we get into 2022, the less likely any major legislation is going to be passed. And so since we talked about all of this this year, I guess the point is, is less political and more practical. You know, we do need to be able to work with Congress if, for example, the public health emergency was going to expire. And as, you know, Congress gets closer and closer to that election, things, especially in these days, you know, get um, a little less focus on policy and a little more focus on politics. So we'll have to navigate those waters. And it's just a reality of our government. And sometimes divided government is good in the sense that, you know, things don't happen all the time. And whipsaw, um, you know, whipsaw not just medical practices, but everybody with new laws that change, you know, just when a political party takes over. However, when we do face these big national challenges like pandemics, um, we do need to have kind of a more unified approach to make sure things move quickly. And um, we'll see. So 2022, um, definitely going to be highly political as we move toward the end of the year. But I still think there are a lot of things that we will be focusing on in MGMA and MGMA government affairs from the regulatory perspective. We have implementation of rules on surprise billing um, that still need uh, more clarification and are important to our members. So we're working on that right now. You know, we have uh, a whole host of uh, interim final rules from last year that we commented on and that potentially could see some tweaks. We never know with those. Um, and then we have, you know, just the, as, as our members have seen and, you know, whether not, you know, again, not talking about vaccine mandates specifically, but just the, again, the impact of when the federal government steps in, um, attempts to do something, and then, you know, it's gone all the way up to the Supreme Court, which now has, um, has uh, um, nullified the, um, some of the vaccine mandates that were, uh, that were very much affecting medical practices and their ability to kind of really ramp up staffing. So we're watching all these issues, you know, even if Congress is kind of on hold, there's going to be still a whole host of issues in 2022. And, you know, again, we're going to be here for our members. We're going to be here for medical practices. We're going to be here for, uh, you know, to help you 
navigate these tricky waters, these regulatory burdens that you all face. And we know that you want to take care of patients and not deal with this. And that's really our job is to try to you know, mitigate the impact of government and rules and red tape on medical groups and just to get let them do what they want to do, which is to take care of their patients and to, you know, not have um, all of these, you know, uh, strings attached when dealing with uh, some of the, the larger insurers in the country like Medicare. All right. Well, Anders, thank you for making sense of this for us. And uh, I promise to have you on the show again, but I'm, I sure hope that we're not in this pandemic the next time we have you back on. Well, my record wasn't so good uh, when I predicted anything in 2020. So uh, hopefully there's not a new pandemic in 2022. True. All right. Well, you take care, Anders. Okay. Thanks, Daniel. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Anders Gilberg, Senior Vice President of Government Affairs at MGMA. If you have a question regarding a specific federal legislation or regulatory issue, go to mgma.com advocacy to have your voice heard. Also, thanks to MGMA's Financial Conference and to CareCloud for sponsoring this week's show. CareCloud's free revenue cycle assessment uncovers billing mistakes so you can see out a claim every last dollar. Get your free assessment by visiting carecloud.com slash assessment. And MGMA's Medical Practice Excellence Financial Conference is an industry-leading financial management conference designed to arm healthcare professionals with the education and tools needed to run a more profitable and efficient practice. The financial conference will be held March 31st through April 2nd in Atlanta. You can go to mgma.com slash events to register today. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts. And to access all of our podcasts, go to mgma.com slash listen. And if you want to add to the conversation or suggest experts for us to interview, email us at podcasts at mgma.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at mgma.daniel. Stay safe, and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights Podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.